This is Jenny McMahon. I'm an Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Adelaide. I visit Melbourne very regularly. In fact, I'm originally from Melbourne. And when I'm in Melbourne, I really enjoy listening to 3CR. Also, 30 years ago, I used to actually come on to 3CR as an art reviewer for a Saturday afternoon cultural program. So it's wonderful to know that 3CR is still thriving. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR, A55 on your AM dial. Radical Philosophy is now on Twitter. You can find it by searching Rad Philosophy on Twitter and clicking follow to follow us and keep updated with the show. For thought, tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood, let's get radical about philosophy. Something has gone unspeakably wrong. We humans have made a terminal mess of this earth. Lise Well, 1991. And I'm speaking to Professor Kate Rigby, FAHA, Chair of Environmental Humanities, School of Languages, Literature, Cultures, Linguistics at Monash University. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Beth. Now, could you give us some background information about Val Plumwood? Yes, indeed. She she didn't actually write very much about her own life, uh, very little in fact. So this is sort of based on conversations with her and people who knew her from from, from a long way back. So she was actually she was born in 39 on the eve of World War Two into quite a poor family but well-educated family and they lived um, on the sort of urban rural edges of Sydney near what's now Kiringai Chase National Park and they had a small land grant and uh, sort of supplemented her father's um, rather limited income with a small poultry farm and Val did some of her schooling via correspondence school, which was great because it allowed her lots of time to explore the local bushland and bond with the family's chooks. I think that was probably quite formative for her. Anyway, she did very well at school. She got a scholarship to Sydney Uni and she majored in philosophy and graduated in 1965 with first class honours. But in the meantime, she'd actually fallen pregnant to a fellow student and they married and they had a son in 1958 while they were still studying and then a daughter two years later in 1960 and they were still trying to continue with their, with their studies. I mean, in those days it would have been normal probably for Val to have given up her studies, but she was determined to keep going. So they agreed to give their little girl up for adoption. Tragically, she was actually murdered by her adoptive father um, in her teens. And their son, um, also he died of a degenerative disease in his 20s. So she, she lost her two children and she lost her daughter in a sense, you know, two times over. So quite a bit of tragedy in her personal Oh, heart. that's very sad. Yeah, yes. it's really appalling. But, yeah, she talked about that very, very little. You had to, you know, get to know her quite well before she would talk about that. 
She actually also married uh, for a second time, Richard Routley, in 1967, and he was also a philosophy graduate. And they moved to Canberra, and uh, Richard was working with the then very eminent uh, and pioneering environmental ethicist John Passmore at the ANU. And Richard himself became a, um, a significant environmental philosopher, and in fact, he and Val collaborated in the development of their kind of early, you know, radical eco-philosophical thought. Now, it was, it was quite interesting, but Val chose her last name, didn't she? She did indeed, yes. And actually, she did so after she and Richard had divorced. <laughs> so uh, she'd taken on his name. They had, in the meantime, they'd actually got some land, basically a bush block near Braidwood in New South Wales, uh, on the edges of, of Monga National Park. And the forest is um, well within the within this forest block there's an area of extraordinary kind of primeval rainforest and it's dominated by this amazing tree the plumwood tree and so she took her name from the tree and by this stage also she and Richard had um, become very engaged in sort of anti-logging activism and they'd also co-authored a book um, called The Fight for the Forest. So in taking the name of this tree, um, she was, in a sense, signalling her solidarity with all forests that were at risk, uh, especially from clear felling, as well as kind of declaring her special link to the particular forest um, where she and Richard had built their home. They actually hand-built this extraordinary low-energy circular home in the, in the midst of this forest. So, and incidentally, um, Richard at that stage um, also took um, a, a different name. He, he became known as Richard Sylvan, also a name associated with the, with the woods, with the forest. Wow, yeah, they certainly, they certainly did have a connection with, with nature and the forest. Yes, um, yeah. Now, Val was the author of several books. Yes, um, so um, following that co-authored book and also a co-edited book with, with Richard and a couple of other people, she, um, she wrote two major monographs during her lifetime. The first was called um, Feminism and the Mastery of Nature, which was published in 1993, and it's a really landmark work of feminist eco-philosophy, a really significant book. And she followed that in 2002 with a work that really pulls together all the threads of her thought and kind of updates kind of earlier lines of thinking, and that's called Environmental Culture, the Ecological Crisis of Reason. Now, when she died, she was actually working on two other monographs. Um, one was to be called The Eye of the Crocodile and the other Nature in the Active Voice. I, I became one of her literary executors together with Freya Matthews and Deborah Bird-Rose. We enlisted an editor, um, Lorraine Shannon, to work on the draft that she had and to pull together from those drafts and also from um, other previously published works, a book, a posthumous work called Eye of the Crocodile. Listeners can actually download um, a PDF uh, or ebook version of that for free from the ANU ePress. Um, it's a really, uh, uh, we're very pleased with it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really good, yeah. yeah. 
something we could do for her. <laughs> yeah, with her calling the book The Eye of the, the Crocodile, mm. Val had a near-death experience. What were the circumstances surrounding this? Yeah, well, it was, it was sort of, I mean, of course it was sensationalised, but actually it was a really important experience for the development of her thought. It occurred in the mid-80s. She was in Kakadu National Park and she was canoeing uh, on the Alligator River <laughs> um, and it was raining heavily and she realised subsequently she probably shouldn't have been out on the water uh, but she was pulled out of the canoe by a crocodile. Crocodiles kill their prey by drowning them so they do this thing called the death roll um, which is sort of like you know, being in a washing machine, <laughs> turned round and round and round in the mouth of this great beast. Um, and she was actually death rolled three times before she actually managed to free herself. She actually poked her fingers in the eye of the crocodile. Mm. It released her and she managed to pull herself onto the bank and she was horribly injured. She had really, really bad injuries. She would have died of blood loss except that she was rescued by a park ranger who found her and she was taken to hospital. That was quite a drama as well. A long time in rehabilitation and, you know, scarred physically for life, but also kind of profoundly educated um, by this experience. Now, I think she stated that she discovered that we're really just part of the food chain, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. So she wrote a little article on it called Being Prey, which came out in the, in the journal Terra Nova, Eco-Philosophy Journal. And she always wanted to write something kind of more extensive about this. And that's what she was working on. And that's, of course, what The Eye of the Crocodile is about. And the, 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 it's about perceiving herself for the first time as you say as part of the food chain in the eyes of the crocodile seeing herself in the crocodile's gaze and what she realized with what really shocked her was that after a decade or more of um working on you know becoming a an eco-philosopher and critiquing you know kind of dominant ways of thinking about nature she realized that she herself um had this idea that because she was human, somehow she wasn't meat. She couldn't be eaten. And the, 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 the realisation that that had actually put her at risk, that she was being, in a sense, hubristic by being out there on the river because she had suppressed her vulnerability. She had kind of overlooked her position in the, in the food chain. And it informed her philosophy in many ways, including views about, uh, about food and also about death. And um, she was very insistent on um, not being cremated. She, she really developed this kind of an eco-philosophy of death or a, a, a philosophy of ecological death, which was about actually at the end of one's life willingly given, giving one's body over to be food for others. And so and if you cremate someone, you kind of remove the corpse from the food chain. So she was very clear that she wanted to be buried in, in as shallow a grave as possible. And, uh, there were legalities around that, so it had to be, I think it had to be six feet down, something like that. But anyway, but so that the critters in the soil could, could feast on her and that this would also contribute to kind of verdant growth above ground and that would indeed seed other critters like the wombat who was her familiar um the wild wombat who um, lived in a burrow near her home and came to visit her of an evening 
So, yeah, it was really, really formative um, experience. Now, that, that sounds, it sounds like a really good idea. I've, I've always had something against being cremated, and I, and I think I'd rather just go back into the earth. Mm. And, mm. yeah, so it, it's quite interesting, you know, how people sort of view, view death and what happens to them after death. And I, I think yeah. there's, there's a trend now to actually have very thick cardboard coffins, isn't there? Yeah. Which wouldn't have been available back in her day. No, she did. <laughs> She did. She we, did. We, yeah. we, we got a cardboard coffin for her. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we drew pictures on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> she, yeah, so she's buried in her garden, uh, really as she wished. And also her her thought about, her, her thinking about death is in this collection, um, The Eye of the Crocodile. So people can follow that up. Right, and you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio. And I'm speaking to Professor Kate Rigby about the life of Val Plumwood. Now, what was Val referring to when she spoke about the standpoint of mastery? Okay, well, this is, this is quite a key concept um, in her philosophy, and it's, it developed out of the critique that she and Richard um, Routley, as he was then called, later Richard Sylvan, the critique they developed of what they called human chauvinism, which is a kind of a groundless belief, it's basically just a prejudice, that only human beings mattered morally. And to the extent that other things mattered at all, it was really only because they have some kind of utility for us. And by kind of thinking this further and reframing it in terms of mastery, the standpoint of mastery, Val was um, emphasising the controlling and colonising aspect of human chauvinism. So it's the, the, really the view that humans are, are called to take charge of the natural world and bend it to our will. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's why society is in such, the, such a mess as it is in, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, 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 yes, it, it legitimates an a, a, a exploitative mode of relationship with the non-human world that is actually uh, undermining the circumstances in which human life itself can flourish. So it's kind of self-defeating, really, mm. in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Now, was Val Plumwood a feminist? Yeah, definitely a feminist. <laughs> and uh, I think this is one reason why she and Richard divorced. <laughs> I mean, certainly by feminism we mean the project of the emancipation of women from sexist structures of domination. Certainly she was a feminist. And I think what makes her philosophy and the philosophy that's articulated um, in feminism and the mastery of nature so new and important was the way that she brought together that feminist critique of sexism, if you like, with the eco-philosophical critique of human chauvinism together with socialist critiques of class-based domination and post-colonial critiques of race-based domination. She ties those things together and so it's an early articulation of what's now being called intersectional analysis. So she's looking at the ways in which these different forms of domination are linked ideologically um, in what she called the logic of colonisation, which is structured through a series of interconnected hierarchical dualisms. And her, her critique of hierarchical dualism, I think, is a really, really useful and profound analytic 
kind of tool <laughs> for, mm. for, for, for unpacking kind of dominant ways of th- seeing things. So how does Val identify the human nature dualism? Well, it's actually so pervasive and it's embedded so deeply in our culture and language that it's actually not easy to spot it until you've begun to call it into question. Um, For example, the very term natural resources, you know, that gets bandied about all the time, this implies a colonising and instrumental view of nature. As soon as you call something a resource, what you're implying is that it's there for use. It's there for human use. So you've already committed yourself to a human nature dualism when you use this concept of natural resource. Was Val vegetarian? Yeah, she she was vegetarian. So human human nature dualism is also evident in the common op- opposition of man and animal, which creates what she calls a hyper separation, a sort of exaggerated separation or radical separation between humans and other animals. And other animals are all kind of homogenized, put together in one kind of imaginary composite, the animal, <laughs> <laughs> which which kind of um, elides all the huge differences among other species as well as denying continuities between humans and other animals. And because we're not, we're not just talking about a binary stu- structure, a dualism, we're talking about a value hierarchy. This value hierarchy, you know, man or human and animal, it serves to legitimate this practice of human domination and exploitation. So being a vegetarian was part of her questioning of human-animal dualism, but she was a particular kind of vegetarian. So she was a vegetarian on ethical grounds, not for reasons of health or, you know, how much it costs to eat meat or, you know, taste or anything like that, just on ethical grounds. But she was what she called a contextual moral vegetarian. So she's not saying that everybody should be a vegetarian or that being a vegetarian is kind of universal panacea because it depends on individual factors like health. It depends upon the availability of other food sources. And it also depends upon ecological context. So, for example, if you, want, if you, were, to try, if you were to live entirely on the diverse food sources that Indigenous Australians enjoyed prior to European invasion, you actually could not possibly have been a vegetarian because there just isn't enough protein and all the other things that you get from meat in Australian native plants. So, yeah, so she was not a kind of doctrinaire vegetarian by any means. So how did Val's view on animal rights differ from Carol J. Adams? She got, she got a really interesting section on this in, um, in environmental culture. Very, very interesting. So it's different on a number of grounds. One is that it's posited on a respect for the agency and interests of plants as well as animals, and indeed also for collective entities such as forests, oceans, and, and um, river systems, and wetlands, and so on and so forth. And she points out that animal rights simply enlarges the bounds of the in-group that we take to be modern, mo- morally considerable, and it's generally on the basis of some trait that makes them similar to humans, such as consciousness or sentience. And that just leaves all the rest. It leaves plants and ecosystems in the category of resource. So she has a much more 
fundamental critique, if you like, of human nature dualism. And, and that means that she doesn't sort of, in a sense, uh, privilege animals vis-a-vis other natural entities. Um, and she also, she also thinks that, that vegetarianism and particularly veganism, it rests on another dualism between use and respect. Uh, she calls this the use exclusion assumption, the idea that you can't, you can't respectfully in- in- engage with something that you also use or eat. Um, and she challenges that, that dualism. And she, she points out that one of the effects of that is that if you, if you um, sort of put, you know, put all your emphasis on, on vegetarianism or veganism, you're taking kind of energy and focus away from things that could readily be redressed, like the, you know, the worst extremes of factory farming or indeed the exploitation of animals in uh, experimentation, um, in fur, you know, trade, that sort of thing. Um, you know, look at, look at ways of, you know, humane, humane use and indeed consumption of non-human others, including plants, and looking at ecological kind of impacts um, so again, it's this contextual approach that's really, really important. So what was it that inspired your interest in Val Plumwood? Well, I first actually came across her work before I met her when I was doing my doctorate back in the late 80s, I guess it was. In German studies, as it happened, I got interested in... I, I really wanted to, to relate German Marxist critical theory, particularly the work of... Um, Theodore Adorno and Max Horkheimer, who developed a critique. They also developed a critique of the domination of nature back in the 1940s while they were exiles from Nazi Germany. I wanted to connect that with contemporary ecological feminist thought, and Val's work just kind of chimed in really fantastically with that. So then I discovered this whole kind of field of of eco-philosophy, environmental history, what's now become known as the environmental humanities. Um, in Australia, we began calling it the ecological humanities. And so by moving in those circles, I, I met her and she became a mentor and a friend. So what's your own view on ecofeminism? I, I think that it has a lot to offer and I think that it is often mis construed as kind of essentialist celebration of women's closeness to nature you might encounter something like that in some quarters of kind of activist scene but that's not at all what Val was on about there is no claim that women are somehow intrinsically um, closer to nature or more likely to be ecological citizens, but rather that there are connections historically and ideologically that need to be explored between, you know, between these different forms of domination. And uh, I think that actually uh, there seems to be a renewal of interest in feminist eco-philosophy or um, feminist thought. In fact, there was a symposium at Melbourne Uni late last year on... um, feminist ecologies in Australia um, and Val was much discussed among others and in fact Australia has contributed really significantly to the development of eco-feminist thought. Ariel Soleil is another um, really important contributor to this, this whole field and yeah, it seems to, it seems to be a, a kind of um, renewed interest in it. Thank you very much for being on the show today. 
You're welcome, Beth. Thank you very much. Are you interested in ideas? Are you interested in life? That's philosophy. So listen to Radical Philosophy on 3CR. It's great. And I'm Meredith Doig, President of the Rationalist Society of Australia. And I've been speaking to Professor Kate Rigby about her associate and friend, Val Plumwood.